let it wash over me I'm ready to lose my feet Take me off to the place where one reviews life's mystery Steady on down the line Lose every sense of time Take it all in and wake up, that's my part of me Day to day I'm blind to see and find how far to go Hello and welcome to the Political Petty. I'm your co-host, Jensen Ahokovi. And I'm your other co-host, Vincent Jones. Thanks for joining us here today on episode 2 of the Political Petty, Democratic Socialism. And before you do that, go ahead and give us a listen on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And also, don't forget to visit our website, politicalpetty.com. I repeat, politicalpetty.com to receive news updates and more regarding our podcast. All right, before we get into things, as you guys already know, uh, Vincent, how's your day, man? Uh, typical Monday, you know, not much to it, a lot of work. What about you? Yeah, same thing, same thing. Uh, thank goodness we only had four classes today. Yep, it's a nice schedule. Yeah, that helps, that helps. Uh, Anything interesting happening in the life of Mr. Jones? Uh, not much. What about you, Mr. Ahakovi? Same. But, you know, thank goodness we have this podcast to do. <laughs> yeah, God, yeah. Brings joy. Brings yeah, really joy. awesome. Brings joy to me and brings joy to, you know, knowing that our listeners out there can enjoy one hour of, of pure, you know, pure. Just, <laughs> just pure. Unbridled discussion. Un, pure unbiased. Or not really unbiased, but, <laughs> but pure discussion between two perspectives of the political aisle we hope you guys enjoy yeah all right so as you guys all know today is episode two democratic socialism but before we get into it let's go ahead hit the current news section of the podcast so visit go ahead and hit us with the stock market yeah so uh the stock market it's been just uh up and down recently so today um everything looks to be in the red oh never mind i was gonna say in the green everything is down just slightly um, it was up yesterday, so just, you know, typical fluctuation and not much else to it, so. Yeah, yeah, that is, that tends to be the, the marker of the stock market, yeah. you know, with its volatile prices and everything. Um, in current news today, the, uh, well, not really current, this news isn't really current, but, um, as you guys may he- have heard, the government shutdown has temporarily ended for three weeks. What do you think about that, Vincent? I'm very glad that it came to an end. I am slightly concerned that it is just a three-week temporary um, reopen. And I think what's going to happen is that Trump's just going to end up declaring a national emergency and getting his wall bill anyways without um, without actual funding in a bill. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't, th- I don't think that his national emergency is going to work just because a court could easily strike down that decision of, uh, you know, uh, acquiring emergency funds to build that wall. Well, but, at least I think he's gonna try at least. Yeah, but um, yeah, this this reopen is really, really good. It's a good breather for the for the nation, as you know, uh, eight hundred thousand federal employees can finally get their paychecks. Yeah, and yeah. that was the real crisis there. Yeah, but uh, that's that's definitely some good news. Um, however, uh, former Trump ally Roger Stone has been indicted. Um, as you guys, uh, you guys might not know this, but uh, Roger Stone is a is a former Trump campaign ally from when Trump was running in 2016, and he was indicted under what was it, witness tampering? Uh, it was and believe it was lying, lying to Congress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just saw something recently 
that it, he wasn't charged on collusion because they don't have enough evidence for that, but they do find him guilty for uh, lying to Congress. Yep. Well, once again, President Trump survives another hit from the Democrats. Well, we'll see what else happens. <laughs> yeah. It's a 6-1. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, in Venezuela, the infamous uh, socialist regime led by dictator uh, Nicolas Maduro has finally got a new president. His well, name is Juan, well, <laughs> Juan Guaido. Yeah, his name is Juan Guaido. He is the uh, interim Venezuelan president, and he is promising, uh, was it, new, free elections. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that he's the new president. I'd say we, Venezuela right now has two presidents, and they yeah, both think yeah. that they're the... But well, the, he he was the opposition leader yeah. of the uh, mm-hmm. of of the assembly. But the military is still backing Nicolas Maduro, so yeah, I'm very curious to see what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. I think once they, it's a, I think it really lies in the hands of the military because I think other countries are going to want to stay out of it. So the military pretty much chooses chooses which path they want to go down. Yeah. Um, Juan Guaido, uh, although he does not have the support of the military, he does have the support of the Western nations and as well as every, I'm pretty sure every South American nation has uh, endorsed. I think minus Mexico. Yeah, minus Mexico. Uh, I think Mexico stated that they wanted to remain neutral in all yeah. of this. But uh, other than that, every Western nation and uh, besides Mexico, every South American nation has uh, endorsed Juan Guaido's rise to power. But um, I I think it's very important, especially for America, that we should try to stay out of it. Like, if you want to say which side you're supporting, fine. But definitely, because there's been some rumors that America might want to, you know, help out, like you know, maybe yeah, bring you, their troops. Did and, you did you see um um John Bolton? What about uh, it? So uh, today at a press hearing, John Bolton, uh, John Bolton, I believe, who is the was he the the foreign. Let me see. Um, yeah, might be the. Uh... And um, I believe John Bolton. Uh, he is the national security advisor, and uh, he was at a press briefing. And at the press briefing, he had his notepad out, and it was turned the wrong way. Oh gosh! And on the notepad, if you zoomed enough, if you zoomed in enough, you could see that it said that they the U.S. military would essentially be sending. 5,000 troops to Colombia. Yeah, and see, we, we can't do that because America always plays the world policing game, and that's, you know, that goes against international law, and just because we're stronger than other countries doesn't mean that we should intervene. And it's my, po- it's my belief that we should let Venez- the people of Venezuela decide what ultimately happens. Yeah, well, um, it's pretty obvious to see uh, where the people of Venezuela yeah. uh, are, are choosing to... to st- take a side on in this conflict then it's obvious that they are rooting for juan guaido yeah. did you see the like there was like nearly a million venezuelans out in the streets just just cheering for juan guaido's um rise to power it was amazing i hope it doesn't sound bad to say this but it's almost like a reality show like i'm i'm so excited to see what happens next like is revolution on the doorstep oh, right is civil war i mean yeah i'd say that violence is already at a level where you could consider it a civil war not quite but yeah well uh let's hope it worse does not come to worse in, yeah. in venezuela and south america but uh in other news in sports news to end off the current event section nickel roby coleman the la rams player who committed that controversial play in the rams uh saints was it nfc championship uh, championship game, game. 
was fined twenty uh, a little over. Oh no, no, it was twenty five. Yeah, it was it was uh, a little over twenty six thousand dollars, uh, for the play that that had you know that had was committed by him, uh, in the fourth quarter was it? Yeah, uh, it was the Saints' final drive in uh, regulation, not overtime. But um, uh, the reason why he's uh, fine for this isn't because of the pass interference that wasn't called, but because he also had a illegal hit to the crown of the other player's helmet, and that wasn't even called in the game. But the NFL fined him twenty six thousand dollars, so that tells you that he did do it. But yet the refs never called it. Very suspicious. Yes. I mean, I don't mean I don't mean to be uh, all conspiracist uh, right now, but uh, you know, I I saw I saw a meme on Instagram. But did you guys? I mean, did you know that the four refs? That were refereeing that game all had ties to Southern California. It's very suspicious. Sounds very suspicious. pretty fishy to me. Well, hopefully uh, the Rams will get their. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hope. Yeah. Hope. Hopefully they maybe they get retribution or their actually, karma. Maybe the Saints them. get retribution. No. Uh, <laughs> what's gonna happen? Did you Did you see? Um, There's a lawsuit. They were, they were all advocating for for a, a rematch. That would be crazy. But it's it's actually in the commissioner's power. Yeah, it is. He can actually overrule the result of a game or and potentially create a rematch. But I do think there would be more backlash than there would be support for that because yeah, you know it's a very unprecedented move. Yeah, waste a lot of people's money and all that stuff. Well, maybe just cancel the Pro Bowl. <laughs> no one watches that. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, that'll close off today's current news section, so let's go ahead and head into the topic of democratic socialism. So democratic socialism, um, Vincent. I believe you you yourself identify as a democratic socialist. Yes, I do indeed. Now, um, to all the li- to all the listeners out there, who who aren't familiar with this word democratic socialism and what it means, um, you know, no better person than to explain what it is than a democratic socialist themselves. Okay. So, Vincent, how about you go ahead and explain to all the listeners out there what this is? Okay, yeah. So, um, well, I guess first I'll explain to you, like, capitalism and socialism. So, a capitalist society is one, like, America is, where everything is private, privately owned, um, whereas a socialist society is one where ev- the means of production is publicly owned by everyone and everything is shared, um, and the government has heavy regulation over it. So, social democracy... Um, and social democracy and democratic socialism has kind of been uh, twisted into the same definition. So I'm just going to use them interchangeably since that's the mainstream definition. Could you, could you tell the listeners yeah. uh, what social democracy yeah. is and like what's so, so different? A social democracy, it's just a capitalist economy. And that's the key word, capitalist with government, um, a democracy for government and social interventions to help reduce the inequality among wealth and try to provide equal opportunity to everybody in the country. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, so we're, we're seeing this rise of, uh, I guess, wait, should I call it democratic socialism? Yeah, yeah. I could just because that's the mainstream okay. word now. So All right, yeah, well. so um, we're seeing this rise of democratic socialism in the U.S., especially with uh, prominent advocates of it, 
um, being Bernie Sanders and especially Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the uh, representative from New York. Uh, and uh, she, or both of them, are, are really strong proponents of these uh, democratic socialist policies, um, which is basically free health care, uh, free college, free college tuition, um, fifteen dollar um, minimum. Yeah, wage. yeah, just, just, uh, or even a paid maternity yeah, leave. <laughs> yeah, those kinds of things. Those kinds of things. And yeah, they're really strong proponents of it. Um, although there are certainly they, I'd say they are the strongest proponents of it in Congress. Well, yeah, but then they have kind of gotten. Um, so now at this point, the litmus test for a Democratic candidate is whether or not they support Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. So all the Democratic candidates are coming out and say, yeah, I mean, I signed on to Bernie Sanders' bill. They might not actually believe in it, but they have to mm-hmm. pretend like they do because that's yeah. what Democrats and liberals uh, view as a standard now. Yeah, yeah, certainly cer- a weird thing for the Democratic Party. Definitely. Not really. Yeah, definitely weird. Not really. Uh, but uh, so let's, let's touch on some of these issues. Um, Health care is a huge issue. When uh, when it comes to uh, democratic socialism and especially in the debate uh, in the U.S. because uh, we've seen we've seen sort of these these democratics or these I guess you could say socialist uh, policies. Um, well, I mean, uh, I guess I would say like social democratic policies yeah. or interventions. Yeah. Well, I mean, for sake of for sake of air and the amount of breathing that it takes to say the word democratic socialist, mm. I'm just going to say okay, socialist. Yeah. But just, just be clear that two different things. Yeah. Yeah. But there, there are these socialist policies. I mean, we've seen it, we've seen it enacted, uh, in the U S before. I'm sure all you listeners out there are familiar with Obamacare, uh, Medicare, Medicaid. Um, we even have some socialist, uh, health administrations such as the VA, the veterans administration and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I know Vincent is a sh- is believes that healthcare is a right. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I'll go into explaining that. So everybody should have the right to free healthcare, and not as many conservatives like to say the right to access of healthcare. Um, and why? It's because um, when everything is privatized and you don't guarantee healthcare to everyone, then you see what we have now, where fourteen percent of Americans are uninsured. 50,000 Americans die each year from a lack of insurance um, compared to every other major nation in the world who guarantees insurance to all of their citizens and um, at uh, no cost except for higher taxes to certain people. But uh, Medicare for all was studied to actually be cheaper. In 10 years, a uh, universal health care system in America would cost $32 trillion. That sounds like a lot, but that same that study... That is a lot. Yeah, but in the same study showed that the current path we're on now, it would cost $34 trillion. So you'd be saving $2 trillion in that time. And the average middle-class citizen would save a net... Uh, would have a net savings of $5,000 each year. So uh, to me, and Jensen's going to disagree, but Medicare for All is the clear thing to do, just like every other major country on Earth. Yeah, well, um, yeah, Vincent, you're certainly right on one of the things you said, and is that is that we both disagree. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, for me, um, the Constitution says, um, and I'm going to quote it right here, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the government's first purpose in these lines is to secure these natural rights, which means it's proper for government to pursue policies that help carry them out. 
a right for life, for instance, subsumes that means subsumes the means necessary to achieve it. Um, as Harry Jaffa put it, uh, providing food and medical care are among the means by which the purpose of securing the right to life is implemented. But just because our rights are secured by government, it does not follow that they must be provided by the government. This means that while it is correct to suggest that people have a right to food, it is incorrect to say that the state must provide it. Indeed, flowing from our rights to liberty and life, we have the right to keep the fruits of our labor, through which the marketplace has provided superior access in providing the access to food, as you know, failed communist states have made clear. This brings us to the heart of you know what's wrong with declaring health care a human right. Well, yeah, so uh, the difference between food and health care, I would say, is we actually do a pretty decent job of getting people who can't, who are struggling to put food on the table. Food, you know, we have um, our social food stamp programs, um, and those are pretty effective. They could be improved upon. But starving isn't a, dying from starvation isn't a big issue, right? So you can try to search up how many, how many people die each year in America from starvation, um, and you actually won't come across a number because there's not enough to warrant a number. Whereas 50,000 people die each year because of a lack of insurance. Um, and so what we have now is pretty much if you have the money to, for health insurance, then you can buy your way to extended life. Whereas if you don't, if you can't afford it, then you can't do so. Uh, but the problem is with Trump's new policies, we've seen 7 million people lose health care in the last uh, year. And his policies were supposed to make health care cheaper, more affordable. But that hasn't happened. And pharmaceuticals have gone up with deregulation. And uh, yeah, Jensen, I'd like to get your. Well, I mean, I I could, I mean, I could argue the opposite for Trump. I mean, first of all, the administration has expanded access to prescription drugs a top priority. In the fiscal year that ended on September 30th, the FDA okayed 971 generic drugs, and that is a record breaking the old mark of 937 that was set the, just the previous year. And compare that to the 651 green lighted in 2016. At the 492 the year before on before Barack Obama, um, this this rapid approval of generic drugs has had an impact on patients' wallets and lives. A recent Council of Economic Advisors report found the slowdown in prescription drug price growth over the past two years has saved consumers 26 billion dollars through July. Um, that's just one of the many policies Trump Trump has enacted, which has helped benefit the the buyer. Uh, well, no, he the that's actually wrong. So. Um, uh, expanding access to healthcare, uh, I mean, unless it's Medicare, doesn't matter because people still can't afford it. So, like I said, seven. Well, I mean, I I just said that it has saved consumers twenty six billion dollars through through July, well, and that's from the Council of Economic Advisors. Well, if you if you look uh, if you look online, pharmaceuticals have shot way up ever since Trump's pre- presidency. Uh, health. Medical bills are the one of the top uh, causes of bankruptcy in our country, right? So these 14, so I had previously said in the last episode that 12% of Americans were uninsured, but I was actually using an old number because ever since Trump got in office, that's up to 13.7%. So Trump is decreasing access to health care. He's making it more expensive to get your pharmaceutical goods. Um, and that's all because he tried deregulation and he hasn't looked into, and he's made he made it he's made it harder for low income people to come across healthcare. Okay, well let's not turn this into last episode, and let's not debate uh, <laughs> let's not debate Donald Trump's policies, but um, certainly uh, 
what what you said earlier what was it regarding uh, the the right to access to healthcare um in in Canada uh they have universal healthcare as you know and however what it what it comes with what comes with universal healthcare is the stifling long wait times that you have to wait in order to receive treatment and as the the chief justice of the Canadian Supreme Court put this perfectly and she observed that just because that people have the right to a queue or a a, a essentially a waiting list does not mean that they have access to health care uh well jensen do you know how many people die each year um waiting on a canadian wait line um the previous statistic i saw set showed that thirty thousand women have died over the past 10 years uh i mean that's about right but the difference is fifty thousand people in america die each year because of long wait lines. And I think that number, so about one to 2,000 each year compared to 50,000. I mean, you know. Yeah, well, well I mean, you can, you can peddle the beauties of the, of the Canadian healthcare system, but Democratic Socialists and the Democrats, they, they like to avoid the abysmal healthcare when it comes to the indigenous Canadian peoples, the, the, the Inuits. They are there are disproportionate high rates of suicide among them. There's high rates of infant mortality, chronic disease, and their life expectancy is 15 years shorter than non-indigenous Canadians. And they have 270 times the tuberculosis rates than native-born non-indigenous Canadians. Now, if the Canadian health system is so great, then why do we see 1.7 million indigenous Canadians facing this kind of trouble? Well, you know, we often see native groups of people who are, have, you know, we've seen a... Even here in our own state of Hawaii, when people came over, uh, you know, from isolation, they don't, they lack the same immune system that we have. No, but these people, these people have been, they've lived through the modern age. It's not like that we just found them somewhere in the woods and their immune system is not capable yeah, no, of, handling, of yeah. handling these things. But they, I'm sure, um, now I'm not really sure about that number, but uh, I'm sure that has something to do with like their genetics. But bottom line is we rank, um, out of all developed nations, we rank at the very bottom when it comes to overall rankings, and we spend twice as much as any other nation on healthcare, yet we pay for mediocre care. We rank right smack dab in the middle when it comes to quality of care. So that the, you, you're kind of just nit, you know, nitpicking a small group of Canadians. What 1.7 million is not a small group of Canadians, Vincent. Well, we have 30 million people that don't have insurance, period, in our country, and I think that's a much bigger problem. Yeah, well, they're not facing high rates of infant mortality, chronic disease, a 15-year shorter life expectancy, as I put before. And, and, and also, uh, how, what was the number you said for, uh, what was it, the, the cost per, per person for healthcare in the it's U.S.? It's like double average. Uh, no, I, we, I mean, you gave a number. Uh, I, we, I, just, we pay about, I just forgot. We pay about uh, $8,500 per capita it, yeah, each year. Yeah, well, I mean, the healthcare, the healthcare system in in Canada is is actually not that is is not that cheap either. They only pay, uh, they only pay what fifteen. They only pay twenty five hundred dollars less than us uh, when it comes. To, that's so, not true. No, this is from the Fraser Institute for healthcare in Canada. According to some estimates, it costs about six thousand dollars per year per person. Do you know what Fraser Institute is? It's yes, a right, it's, it's a okay. right wing outlet. Right. In you Canada. can question my sources well, all I, you want, have, but according to these sources. estimates, it's six. I've seen from the Heritage Foundation. I've seen from the New York the Times, Foundation the Washington. Is uh, I just, a Republican I just, outlet. I just named the New York Times and the Washington Post, who have done op eds on this stuff, and they come around the same 
same number, 6,000, ranging from 6,000 to 6,500. Well, I've got one from the Commonwealth Fund, which is a well-respected organization. Canada pays $4,500 each year per capita, and the U.S. pays 85. And we don't even have to look at per capita. We see the, o we see the OECD rankings. We pay about... Um, so yeah, we pay about, um, according to the OECD rankings, uh, we pay 17.4, which is just uh, their thing. The average is 9.5, while Canada pays 11.4. So there's a huge difference. We pay 6.4 more, I mean 5.4 more than the next country, and we pay almost twice as much as the, na as the world average. So um, we, not only do we pay way more uh, for healthcare than any other nation, we don't get we don't even get the best health care. It's like we're not even paying for the best. Yeah, well there are definitely other cost saving alternatives rather than universal health care. And I'm, I could just name a few. I mean, we could we could scale back the existing eligibility where possible. I mean, I'm sure you can agree with this. Um, if we can make uh, programs like Medicaid, you know, expand its eligibility which is limiting millions of people from gaining access to healthcare. I mean, you can certainly agree that this, the, the margins that they have and, and the, the sort of eligibility rankings that they're holding are prohibiting some people from getting healthcare. Well, yeah, but it would be rather than doing the Hillary Clinton idea and expanding the, on the Affordable Care Act, it would be actually much easier just to go full out um, and just completely have a rebuilt healthcare system where we do a Medicare system, for, a Medicare for all. But you can't scale back a $3.2 trillion system. Uh, why not? Because it's $3.2 trillion, Vincent. No, you'd just be overhauling the whole thing, right? Like, there's no... I don't know what you're trying to say about its $3.5 trillion system. 3.2. That's, that's how much it's worth. That's how much our healthcare system is worth. So uh, well, there's no reason why we can't completely redo it. If we redo it, then nearly a million Americans would lose their jobs. I mean, my uncle is in the insurance business, and if we repeal this, then he would lose his job. He would lose his 20 employees that he's employing. He's a small business owner, and we'd be affecting so many small business owners like him with this repeal. Yeah, so um, that is definitely something to bring up about what happens to the insurance companies. Um, Bernie Sanders' bill would completely eliminate all... Uh, private insurance companies, but um, some people suggest that you could have side insurance. Now, these companies would no longer be as big as they were, but that's the big issue is that we have these big pharma companies that control our healthcare. So yeah, the, we'd have to get these people, we'd probably have to find many people jobs, but in the long run, it's the best thing to do because that's what every other country does and we lag behind them. So you're saying we should get rid of nearly a million American jobs it, uh, well, just just to establish your your single payer healthcare system when we can't just run with this one. Oh, yeah, because there's 30 million people that are uninsured, um, and one getting one million people jobs. There's you know there's other ways to do that, like sudden like funding a green new deal. I don't think the American people would be on board with seeing that nearly a mi nearly a million Americans would be losing their job. And who's here? Who's to say that they could just go off and and find another job? Because many of these aren't just many of these aren't doctors who can go into the who can you know try and uh, apply for a government Medicaid position as a as a government doctor. Many of these people are are are, are merely you know accountants who or or you know people who people who just do those kind of things where it's not so easy to go off and find another job when there's other displaced people fighting for the same jobs as them. Yeah, so that is a good point you make. But about the um, 
people not supporting us there you can there's many polls on the support of medicare for all one has it at 70 percent of american support 74 uh, medicare for all another one has 54 so a good a good majority of americans certainly do support medicare for all and when it comes to the jobs thing yeah there's gonna have to be some uh moving around and organization of it but that's something it's nothing that we can't handle right uh what's really important is we get all those every single one of those 30 million people that are uninsured insured and more jobs will be created because this whole market will pretty much um be pushed to the side and a new one will fill its place that's just how well, it works well let me address your your talk about the poll um in the past week the associated press came out the poll regarding democratic or not democratic it was actually the um, but, sorry it but, was just, it was the kaiser institute yeah it yeah well, it, well the the ap press. pushed it yeah. but the but the poll said that when americans uh well, it was basically what you said. So more than half of Americans approved of you basically a universal healthcare system, single payer. But when they were told that it involved higher taxes, 66% disapproval rating after that question was asked. Yeah. So, uh, well, I, it wasn't a 66% disapproval rating. It was a 34% approval rating. Um, and because the rest of the people, they didn't necessarily right, well, six, yes. choose disapproval, right? They just didn't pick because there's two other options. Um, and the main thing about that is... Um, so the Kaiser Institute that brought it up, um, that made the poll, they asked, they wanted to see what happens when you push like a conservative Republican question to them. And what we find is many people are simply not educated well enough on the issue. Or maybe they just don't want to pay no. higher taxes. Yeah, well, let me explain. So the average American, and I mean middle class, not the rich, middle class and low income people, you not, okay, if you're low income, you wouldn't actually have higher taxes because that would um, defeat the point of Medicare for all. But the average middle class per, uh, citizen, your health, your taxes would go up, but you would no longer have to pay that high health insurance premium. So yeah, you but would the net auto- save. You would net save a lot of money, and a study showed that you, the average middle class citizen would net save five thousand dollars each year. Yeah, so they that, just that don't comes, understand the question. Yeah, that sure that that comes from you know yeah sure the premium would be lower. No, there but, wouldn't be a premium at all. It would just be some taxes. Okay, yeah, so you, you get the taxes, right? You get the free health care. You pay extra taxes. But then you'd have to pay for the out-of-pocket cost. No, there which, were... No, it's... Okay, it's so many socialized countries with socialized medicine. The out-of-pocket cost is much more than you save on the uh, uh, from the tax. That's not true. It's true. In, in Australia, you see the out-of-pocket cost. Sure, the... The tax helps pay for for the socialized medicine, but then you have to pay if you have diabetes. You got to pay for that for that sugar blood level meter. You got to pay for the test strips. You got to pay for the pills, and that's especially why we see that in Canada, where you know you're you're you want the elimination of privatized industry, but in Canada, what they have two thirds of Canadians have supplemental private health. Uh, health insurance, which helps pay them for the pills, pays them for the sh- for the sugar blood level uh, for the sugar blood level readers, is helping them pay for all those out of pocket costs, which the government is not providing. Yeah, so I actually believe the number isn't. Too, I think it's ten percent. I want to say, and um, yeah, many Canadians they prefer to get some supplemental health care, and that's what I proposed earlier. I said that that definitely should be an option, right? Um, but let's let's not forget how much more. Medicare for all countries cover than us. Like so, for instance, dental care is fully covered in most countries that have universal health care, right? Uh, I don't know about you. Even though, even with our insurance, we pay about a hundred to two hundred dollars each time when we go see the doctor. Eye care is covered in many countries, um, and so and there's actually no copays. Copays and deductibles are uh, eliminated. So you would have out-of-pocket costs for things that aren't covered, 
But what we see is that in countries that implement Medicare for all systems, more things are actually covered than there are here. Okay, well, yeah, sure. The 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 part the things that are covered by by the socialized med by these countries with socialized medicine uh certainly cover a a, a larger range of of things um but when you disputed my statistic earlier about the the two-thirds of canadian having uh uh you know uh supplemental health insurance that's actually covered for the canadian health act uh the canadian health act is actually a point that i wanted to to talk about um actually now so um yeah uh, I don't believe in, in universal health care like a national health plan. But, Vincent, if you want to push me uh, for this, this sort of health plan, um, what I would suggest what I would suggest is what Canada is doing, which is actually why their health care system looks so good. So the Canadian Health Act, it, the Canadian government pushed this, where it actually had the provinces of Canada determine the kind of health care that they would develop. Exactly. And, um, and I think... That if we can apply the same thing to the U.S. without increasing, uh, without increasing taxes, uh, you know, without skyrocketing them like we see in the Nordic countries, I think that this would be more efficient than establishing a national, um, a, a national healthcare, uh, a national healthcare plan. So, um, the idea behind this is that territories, the government pays into these plans, but the territories have full control over what kind of Medicare they want to provide for their citizens for their populations and i think that this would be much better than the the universal health care plan that many uh you know democratic socialists are pushing like bernie sanders because the national health care plan would be able to exclude many americans who who don't fit into the national uh you know the the national definition when it requires when people require uh medicare for all but when you bring it down to these populations, to the provinces, to the states, I think that it will be a much better fit because the states know what their population needs. Yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned this. Cause I was going to bring this up, actually, um, when you uh, later on to counter a point that I thought you would make. Um, and I think you actually misconstrued this data. So the thing about allowing – so Canada still has a Medicare for all system. But what they do is they mandate all their provinces, which is their equivalent to states. Yeah. They mandate all their provinces to determine what best fits them because we see different problems in different states. How right? much? Do you know how much provinces they have? I'm not sure. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. So um, they do this, but that doesn't change the fact that they have a Medicare for all system. And I was actually going to bring this up later because I anticipated you bringing up about the population. And I was going to say, well, we can do what Canada does and let each state run it, but force them to do it. Right. Um, and so that would allow each state, like you said, to determine what what the best health care should be for each state. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that there is a Medicare for all system. And it would just make it easier to, you know, be controlled throughout the country. Yeah, well, um, we, we, we both disagree and, and agree on, I guess, a little part of this topic. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I do agree with you that... Uh, that letting provinces or states choose their health care is definitely better than having a, a national health care policy. But, but yeah. I, I see we both disagree on whether that's under the umbrella of Medicare or whether it's up to the states to, yeah. to, to let it happen. So, uh, uh, I certainly hope that we can definitely develop a, 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 a much larger middle ground when it comes to this issue. But for sake of time, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the uh, to the next topic. So, 
Um, Bernie Sanders is definitely a strong proponent of uh, free college tuition. And, um, you know, uh, Vincent, you could certainly agree with me. College is so expensive. Yeah, you know, you know, in the... 70s a year average year of college would cost $500 and I know that's not counting for inflation but even with oh, inflation, the good old days <laughs> dude yeah it's crazy the good old days the a recent days. study showed that uh college tuition has far surpassed inflation and uh that's definitely a big problem yeah uh you know especially for for us especially for us Vincent uh it's coming hi- up yeah, yeah high school students uh we we definitely you know gotta get ready for college and uh, all all the, w- the wonderful things that come with growing up, um, but uh, I guess we kind of differ on how we're gonna get college cheaper. Yeah. So you, I mean, you, you definitely agree that we should try to make college. No. Yeah. No. Okay, yeah. For okay. sure. For sure. <laughs> for sure. I wasn't sure for a second. I, I'm not insane. We're both definitely yeah. not rich. Uh, especially when Jeez, it comes nope, when it comes to what pay like what seventy thousand you know tens of thousands yeah. of dollar of dollars each year. Yeah, and I think it, I think you agree with me. It's it's almost at the point where like we'd want to do something. We want to go somewhere crazy for college. But yeah. For a price sake, you know, if I could somehow get I don't know, maybe a free ride a free ride to some not as good school, mm-hmm. I might have to take that over uh, a, t- a really prestige school. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and uh, it's definitely a problem for uh, for you know uh, high school high school kids out there who are who are you know moving up moving up in the world, and and uh, you know uh, it, it's a huge obstacle for sure. For Absolutely, sure. yeah. Um, and so, what uh, democratic socialists like me or Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez would propose is a free college system. Um, and now there's a lot of minute details that would go into this, like whether everyone would be eligible or would it be low-income students. Um, and that's definitely a question to ask. But I do think this is something which we could look into. And why do I, I mean, not, not just look into, but actually accomplish. And why do I say that? Um, well, I say many, not as much as Medicare for All, but many other countries um, do provide free college. In fact, uh, many countries allow international students to come in and attend college for free, such as Germany. Um, and Denmark, for example, actually, you know, did you know this? They give an allowance to low-income students, right? Um, and that's pretty incredible. And the, the biggest reason why we push this is because student loan debt is now at a staggering $1.5 trillion. Yeah, yeah. Um, And we're going to – we both agree on the problem. We just d- defer on the solution. Um, and most students uh, will now graduate with a mountain of debt. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, you yeah, can – Yeah, um, so uh... – Vincent, what Vincent likes at, at the Democratic Socialists, uh, uh, I think what they what they are advocating for is free tuition, basically. Well, public tuition, obviously, yeah. So, um, and so the way that we want to treat it is the same way that in through K through twelve, um, public schools are free to everybody, um, and then there's obviously private schools the same way like there is in college. And the reason why K through twelve is free now is because back in the day you only needed a high school degree to actually be able to get a job a living wage to get a job that would provide for your family and yeah. you didn't you didn't necessarily the GED. need yeah yeah but at this point um a college to, a college degree is almost mandatory if you want anything above minimum wage and the problem is so people can no longer do this affordably um yeah there's scholarships there's grants but that's not really enough 
So Bernie Sanders' free college plan was estimated to cost between 45 and $70 billion. And that is uh, a pretty costly thing. I, I, I'm sure you would agree. Yeah. But there's many ways that we could actually pay for this. So for instance, we pay for our military budget is more is the largest in history, obviously. And we pay more on our military than the next seven countries combined. I, I, believe, think, it's a, I think, think it's a bigger number than that, isn't might, it? Yeah, might, it's anyway, seven to ten. Um, I believe we pay about six hundred to seven hundred billion dollars a year, and every year we increase it by you know a few billion dollars. I know recently we had a really big uh, budget hike, budget spike in in the military. So if we could just cut down on that, right? We could bring forty five billion to seventy billion dollars to to fund college. That's one way of doing it, obviously, and then that wouldn't increase taxes. We we, we could end useless wars. And uh, save money while provide while ending the student loan debt problem that we see in America right now. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, certainly, student loan debt, huge, huge issue, uh, especially for you know there are many adults here who are still in in, yeah. in recovering of from course. student loan debt. Um, but uh, I certainly don't think that that saying that the defense budget uh, has you know is is a huge, huge problem that we should we should cut down on. Um, you know, in fact, defense spending has grown. It's true. Defense spending has grown since 9-11. But uh, it's, it, it hasn't grown not nearly as fast as the rest of the federal government. From, from 2001 through, through, through 2015, spending on social and economic programs dramatically outpaced spending on, on the national security. Um, the Defense Department outlays... Uh, now account for only 15% of all federal spending. And when you add in state and local government spending and national security accounts for only 10% of the total public spending. Um, the the Army is at its smallest since the 1940s. The Navy has had its smallest fleet since, I believe, 1916. Uh, and, and to assume that we need to, to keep cutting down, I mean, we're, we're actually already at a tremendously small size. Uh, well, yeah, I actually saw something recently about the Navy is that people are kind of finding out that Navy ships are getting outdated, right? It's like, they, it's, yeah, they are. It's almost like, yeah. like, what is one ship in an area, like as a, a patrol ship is almost not necessary, right? Because we have like drone technology to scout it out. So Navy ships are now almost used for net, like super necessary things rather than, um, what, you know, what in the past they would use it to look at what other countries are doing. And so that's less of a need now with our new technology. Um, and the reason why we point out uh, that the, the reason why we like to we want to point out to cut military the military budget is because a lot of wasted money goes into that. Um, we we wage several wars on non-aggressive countries, especially in the Middle East. And so Donald Trump this year increased the budget military budget by fifty billion dollars. And all of that money probably could have funded a free college system. But he also pulled out the troops out of Syria. Uh, well, he, he said he would, which that was the one thing ever that Trump has done that I agreed with. But we saw, <laughs> we saw that Fox News went crazy. And Fox News controls Trump. So he kind of didn't do that. He didn't really pull them out. He said he would. But they're starting with equipment first. Um, and I think we should. No, pull I mean, out. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a huge move. It's a it's yeah. you know it's it's definitely hard to move like you know tens of thousands of American soldiers out. Um, but you know let's let's not make this about uh, Trump. foreign policy and Trump. But uh, I do think that we could 
uh, in order to help alleviate the cost of uh, of you know the the student loan instead of cutting the the defense budget um i hope vincent we can find a middle ground on this issue but what if instead of making the tuition free what if we covered uh such uh, expenses for students such as you know the the textbook costs the the transportation uh, child care for for some older students and, and housing yeah. uh, I, I I hope we can find a middle ground on that because um, studies have shown that the cost for books transportation housing child care they they all add up to be to be greater than the amount of tuition that students are, are paying yeah so um What's clear to me is that you definitely, unlike Medicare for all, where we're like very divided, this one, you know, you want to, you want to pay yeah. for certain things. And I, I think you just think that we can't afford a uh, free college for everyone. Is it, I mean, is that right? Is that um, right? You know, the U.S. is, uh, it's a huge country. I'm sure we can afford it. But I, uh, I think that um, by making these extra expenses uh, free, I hope, I, I certainly hope that it would also incentivize people to go to college. Yeah. Hey, well, you know, if we started out, if we tomorrow, if we, if, you know, Trump or something decided to pay for uh, textbooks, if he paid for transportation, yeah. that that's a huge step in the yeah. right direction, right? Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, I mean, we were talking about Canada so much. They don't have a free college system. Yeah. You know, we're mainly pointing at Nordic countries, countries um, like Germany. Um, so not every country does this, right? Um, and, but the thing is, Anything that would help lower college costs, I would be for. Anything in the right direction, yeah. you know, that's huge. I'm all for that. But the problem is the cost of tuition just going up so fast that if we don't do anything drastic about it, you know, paying for books, that's going to help to what – that's really going to help. But if you don't expand the coverage, if you don't start paying for people's tuition, less and less people are going to go to college, and that college debt, the student loan debt, will far surpass the $1.5 trillion that it currently sits at. Yeah, that's that's exactly true, and uh, you you brought up a really good point. We we're both trying to to find ways to to lessen the financial burden on students because another reason was it, especially it is, it affects us. Yeah, it uh, does. Yeah, it, it definitely affects us. Um, I think we just kind of you know uh, we kind of disagree on on how to um on you know tuition wise on how to solve that. Um, something else I think we yeah. could agree on is lowering the student loan interest rate mm, yeah that's for what, sure but, but the problem sure. is many republicans in the senate have voted against doing so um well i mean it, it definitely helps uh, uh colleges though uh it, you know yeah you could say that it you could say that it does but the, you know we got to look out for the students first in exactly my yeah yeah for sure um but uh when it comes to granting free tuition um there have been there have been many European studies that have found that students who pay more in tuition exert greater effort and are, are more likely to, to graduate on time. Um, uh, a North Dakota State University professor Martin Coleman he he studied sunk cost and to the listeners out there who don't know what sunk cost is, sunk cost is the phenomenon that uh, basically says that uh, the if people invest in something, they are more likely to dedicate more time to the thing that they invested, rather than something that they haven't uh, they haven't sacrificed anything for. And he found that people were more likely to stay in classes if they had already paid something in tuition. But that sunk cost did not imply if an endeavor was free and participants had only invested their time yeah no yeah so you're actually like 100 percent right about this i recently saw an article talking about 
I forget which country. It was some European country which offered uh, free college. Um, and they're talking about the problem with students that aren't graduating because they have yeah. no incentive to do so. Um, and am I saying that any of these countries that we talk about that I'm trying to advocate for are perfect? No, there's no such thing as a utopia. Um, but there are things, if we had a free college system, why not put like, let's say a, a five-year max on it, right? Four or five-year max on it. Because then we could say, hey, we're only paying your college for a certain amount of time. If you don't graduate, then you're going to have to pay full tuition. So there's certain things that we can do like that, which would um, kind of alleviate that problem. Um, so free college, definitely attainable. We see certain countries do it, but we can fix the problems that they see with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you you talked about the incentive of, of going to college. And uh, with, with free college, uh, you know, they have, when, they, when people decide to drop out, they're, they're, they're essentially losing nothing. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, they haven't paid anything into it. But I think there's a, a huge aspect of it is is fairness, where you're having the you're 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 essentially giving it an unlevel playing field, when you, I guess you give free tuition to the academically marginal student entering, uh, I guess you could say a, a an institution with free college or with free tuition, while her her academically superior but maybe even financially worse off. A counterpart has to face huge charges at four-year institutions. Um, yeah, so so you're pretty much just talking about how um, the like smarter people. Well, could you repeat that last point again? Yeah. So the so basically, uh, I I just don't think it's fair that you're granting the academically marginal student um, uh, free tuition entering a college versus versus her academically superior but maybe even financially oh. worse off student uh you're 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 essentially giving them the burden of 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 you know things that we discussed earlier student loads uh uh tuition and well, yeah uh, no yeah so um there are different ways to go about providing free college so mm -hmm. um i'm supposing when you when you talk about that you're saying that only low-income students would get free college that kind of mindset well, uh, I, I'm, I'm not doubting that it would only be low-income students, no, no, but yeah, I'm no, sure but that we would that, see a huge majority yeah, of no, them heading to free college. Is that what you were saying, that there's still going to be some people that would pay for it? Is that... Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so in Bernie Sanders' plan, for instance, um, his plan was about one... If your family makes 125000 above, then you're eligible... I mean, or below, then you're eligible. If you make one twenty-five or above, you're not. Um, and I'm sure that rate would actually be negotiable, right? Like, if you made... 130 127 i'm sure you could probably fit into that line and that was just a rough thing but that covers 80 percent of uh 80 percent of students and i know what you mean i and i do think the goal should be everybody like you yeah know. i th uh, yeah you, you you're definitely right i think the main goal is that um you know we may agree on some point or disagree on some points but i think the main goal is to to lessen the burden on everyone yeah uh, it's everyone um I just I, I guess we, we just disagree on the means of paying for it. Yeah, but for instance, um New York, their state universities, if your family makes one twenty five one hundred twenty five thousand dollars or less, you're actually eligible for free college. Um and I the reason why I think I'm optimistic why we could push that to even more than one hundred twenty five thousand dollars is because uh, New York, their free college funding is coming from just the state. They're not they're not getting any federal funding. 
but let's say we get the states to to get some money involved and then we get the federal government to provide money too so you have more sources of in, more sources of income and then we could really level out the playing field to where it doesn't matter how much money you make um you know how much your family's worth all it matters is if can you get into this school which schools do you get into and once you get into a school then your college is fully paid for yeah, for sure. Those those are those are awesome things that that New York is doing, um, but I think that we just disagree on on where the money should go. Um, I think that uh, that making the tuition free is uh, maybe not the smartest move, but by alleviating the cost of of you know the books that students have to pay for, maybe even providing a I think we we see this in some states already, but maybe even providing a discount for students uh, for for bus rides. Uh, you know, for oh yeah, this, for uh, childcare, the University stuff, of yeah. Hawaii. Your your student ID is a bus pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think if we could implement more of those, um, I think that we could we could drive the cost down, but we could also keep the incentive there for for students to stay in college. Uh, you know, they get out of college, look for a job, and help provide and you know recirculate money basically into <laughs> the economy, drive the economy. I mean, yeah, just the way I see it, it's like. If we can, if we can pay for it, and it's you know we're the wealthiest country on earth, we can definitely pay the about fifty thousand, fifty billion, sorry, fifty billion dollars that it costs to fund free college. Um, I think we should go for it. We can definitely do it. And like I said, um, many European countries do have that problem with people that don't graduate on time. But how about we have like like I mentioned earlier, a policy where hey, we cover four, five, six years of you, and then you're on your own. That would you know that would make people feel the pressure to want to graduate on time so they don't waste government money and then after that um you know if they want to pay more for a graduate's degree that's that's not something that is being talked about right now under the free college bill but um but that would make a graduate's degree much cheaper to come by because you're no longer paying for your batch your uh your your normal college degree and then you know no, no, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, and you know, I think this 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 discussion over free college tuition is a really good way to to close off to to close off the podcast. Yep. Don't you think? Absolutely, I think it is. I yeah, think you it know, was a good I, discussion. Yeah, you know, we started off with Medicare. Medicare is definitely a a hard topic to discuss. Uh, you know, we both had so many competing t- statistics. It's really hard. So this is why we encourage you guys to to do your own research. If you guys want to dispute us, go ahead and give us a message. We'll try to we'll try to you know clarify some things more for you. But uh, it, yeah, it was. I think that overall, this is this was really great. We yeah. both we both learned some things from this debate. I never uh, knew. I I didn't know how you felt about college. Actually, I was surprised. No, no, yeah, uh, yeah. See, guys, you'd be surprised on on the middle ground that you can find with people you may think that are different from you. Yeah. Um. You know, but before this, I uh. Uh, in the bloopers, if we ever publish those, uh, <laughs> me, me and Vincent had a huge dispute over uh, over <laughs> over Canada or whether Canada was was more diverse than, oh, than the U.S. And I I certainly did <laughs> not know that uh, you know uh, I guess Canada is I guess more yeah. diverse. It's, um, and we you know who knows why, but yeah, I mean. Kinda... Vincent, uh, I mean, <laughs> hopefully we can figure this out after the episode. But uh, yeah, we definitely a lot of things learned in today's episode, and I think this segment on on college uh, was definitely a great closer to to this yeah, really absolutely. good episode. Might be our best segment. Yeah, I, I really like I really like this segment. Uh, 
you know, Medicare for all, really touchy subject. College, also really touchy subject. Yeah. But it, I'm so glad that we could finally, you know, that we could find a, a, a middle ground on, on this on this issue. I just think college is a problem that hits more with everybody. So it's, a, you know, whereas yeah, especially us, yeah. you know, a smaller amount of people are, um, are uninsured. Yeah, you know, healthcare, a lot of countries do it. College, not a lot. Or free college. Not it's, a lot yeah, of not as much, it. but plen- yeah. plenty do, but not as much. So yeah, but uh, hey, you know, let's uh, let's close off this episode with uh, some weekly goals. Yeah, throw okay. it out, Vincent. So um, hey, if you're a liberal out there, I want you to go to your uh, a conservative friend and just talk to them and try to find something that you guys agree about. Right? It can be anything. Me and Jensen agree on a few things. Um, not, well, I mean, <laughs> when it comes to politics, uh. Maybe a few, yeah. but, but you know, overall, you know, me and Vincent, we're very agreeable guys. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so just try to find something you guys agree with, and then, you know, that's a good start. Yeah, try to find some middle ground. You know, uh, to all you conservatives out there, uh, you know, if if somebody disputes you or, and somebody tries to, to challenge you on a point, hey, you know what, just just politely, just explain your point, explain why you believe that, and try to find that middle ground with somebody. Uh, and I think that's that's really essential to improving the, the political environment in, in the country today. Yeah, it is. Um, I know me and Jensen might have raised our voices slightly at each other, but yeah. yelling at each other... Um, uh, tends not to be the best way to get our points across. Yeah, and you know we, we definitely learn from these from these kinds of mistakes. Um, but you know sometimes you you, you guys gotta be. I mean, hey guys, just just be better than us. You know, <laughs> that's the <laughs> to, goal. I that's guess. the goal, I guess. But uh, yeah, so so just just try to be civil about it, guys. You know, uh, try to find that middle ground as as we as we advocate through the philosophy of this podcast. And, but uh, uh, oh yeah, but uh, just don't be you know don't be afraid to stand up for your beliefs. But yeah, for let's sure. not go crazy about for them. sure. Awesome. Well, that is a great way to end off the episode, Vincent. <laughs> hey guys, don't forget to tune in next week to episode three, gun control. Ooh, that is a really a t- that's that's also another big one. That is. I yeah. think every week we're going to be like, oh, that's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, that's episode three, Gun Control, which is coming out on February... February... 5th? Don't quote me on that, but probably the 5th. Probably the 5th. Hey, guys, uh, if if we're wrong, message <laughs> us at thepoliticalpenny.com. Yeah. Once again, thepoliticalpenny.com. And... With that, we're going to go ahead and close episode two of the Political Petty Democratic Socialism. <laughs> I am your co-host, Jensen Ahokovic. And I am Vincent Jones. And thank you for taking some time out of your day and giving us a listen. Tune in next week to the Political Petty. Been taking my time when they speeding off writing and signing these deals they supposed to I don't get motivation for something I wanna pursue Spitting hotter than toaster Saturday grinding I'm better 